and welcome back to the uh, ESPN Seven Innings Podcast, everybody, at Seven Innings Podcast on your social media. Got another great show lined up. We got players breaking scoreboards. We got players throwing more no-nos and hitting 100 home runs. We've got great stuff as we continue our discussion about Women's History Month and uh, good things about Title IX that has impacted all of our lives, and it's just going to be a blast. We also... With all the pitchers and catchers, we're going to talk about some of the best batteries, pitcher-catcher combos in college softball, not just today, but yesteryear as well. B-Moral, Scarborough, Bro, Shro, Smitty, and the debut this year, oh, Canada. It's D-Lo with the Velo, everybody, from north of the border. Well, just south of the border. She's in the U.S., of course, with her family. Vegas Vicky may join us. Well, we got odds on, on a big game coming up, of course, this week. We start out with she broke the dang scoreboard. Not only did UCLA dominate its series, three shutouts of Arizona and three big wins, but Megan Faramo, uh, Jen Schro, had herself another monster weekend. You guys, I don't even know where to start with UCLA because they absolutely killed it this weekend. You mentioned three shutouts. That hasn't even happened since the 89-90 season. It's only the third no-hitter UCLA has ever thrown against uh, Arizona, and it was Holly Acevedo. It wasn't even Megan Faramo. Uh, Megan and Holly each have 11 wins on the season. Holly had uh, 12 strikeouts on Sunday. They are just absolutely rolling. And what I – it was Saturday, guys, not Sunday. Sorry. Or no. Oh, God, I'm all screwed up. It was Sunday. They played Saturday, Sunday, Monday. So, woo. They're just really killing my brain right now. But what I want to say is UCLA is doing it from everybody in their lineup off the bench. Jayla Castro hit a home run, a true freshman. You've got Delaney Wiz, who wasn't even a catcher until last year, calling her own pitches with Megan Faramo. You've got the team leader in RBIs in a true freshman of Savannah Pola. And now you have Megan Faramo hitting, and that's right, Beth, she hit a monster shot off the scoreboard that legitimately broke the scoreboard for an inning. They're on an 18-game win streak, and they are just cruising right on into Seattle to face Danielle's Huskies this weekend. What do you think about that matchup, Danielle? Uh, I mean, honestly, I'm a Husky through and through, but right now I feel like Washington's trying to figure it out. <laughs> like offensively defensively but when I really look at UCLA like I look at them coming in and like winning three I mean that like they have depth in their pitching staff and when I look at Washington just with like the trend with Gabby playing it's like you'll see a glimpse of her throwing really well but can the other pitchers step up and that's something that coach Tar made clear of last year with how the RPI and selection committee and everything went down was that they want to potentially give Gabby more rest because it's out of control what's going to happen in the postseason. So I don't know, since Taryn Alvello has left the program, I think Gabby Plain has been a little bit different. So she's going to have to step up this weekend. Well, one of the things I want to add about UCLA is just um, obviously the pitching staff and how well they are doing and how hard they are to prepare for, right? So you have Faremo who can go up as well as Holly Acevedo, right? It's her rise ball changeup, but the key is the way they mix speeds. You guys against Arizona, they gave up just five hits in those three games. So think about that. That's 31 Ks in those three games, five hits, 63 outs in that three game series. 50% of the outs via the strikeout. So right now that pitching staff is on fire. And D'Lo, to your point about Washington, uh, when Gabby Plain is not pitching, they're going to have to outscore their opponents. And right now, the way UCLA is pitching, I don't know that Washington can do that. This is a really complete UCLA team right now. A lot of fun to watch. Well, they're on an 18-game win streak, you guys. Since they lost, we saw them in Clearwater against FSU on ESPN. I don't know if that served as a motivation for them, if they got it together, came together more as a team or what. But in that 18-game win streak, eight run rules, nine shutouts, 
0.94 ERA, 368 batting average. Sorry about my notifications coming through. And they've only made six errors. So in every single aspect of the game, they're getting it done. And one thing that we haven't talked about yet, and I'm sure that we will with UCLA, is their athleticism. They're able to run bases so well. They have this speed. Bree Perez is hitting home runs. Maya Brady hit eight home runs so far in that in that 18 game win streak. So the way that they've been able to step up, as you mentioned, Jen, all throughout their lineup and have it with power in the circle, as well as their speed has been very impressive. Yeah. You mentioned a couple things. Maya Brady, she just seemed to turn it on after Florida state this weekend. She went four for seven, two doubles, a bomb, but another name that none of us have mentioned that I want to give a little love to is Lauren Shaw. She's a transfer from Iowa. She actually has the lowest ERA on UCLA staff with a 0.45 ERA, and that's in 15 appearances. So she is getting reps in. So Michelle, you mentioned that she's this staff is so hard to prepare for. They have so many different looks, and this is something that I personally cannot remember seeing from a UCLA pitching staff in quite some time. Kayla, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, you read my mind because I wanted to give credit to Lauren Shaw because she's been such a bright spot. How nice is it to have a third pitcher to go to to feel confidence in? And just for the record, you know, this UCLA team made a really good offensive Arizona team look bad. I mean, they have three hitters over 400. They have 37 home runs on the year. This is an Arizona team that has used their offense to win games because they're really weak in the pitching circle this season. So for them to go and shut out Arizona the way they did, I mean, how much confidence does this UCLA pitching staff have to be feeling right now? It's unreal. So again, I'm glad you mentioned Lauren Shaw, but I think, it, I mean, when you look at the score, you just seem like, oh, this Arizona team must be really bad this year. No, this is a really good offense. So just more credit to UCLA. When it speaks to the job that the Bruins have been doing in recent years, they have taken ownership of this rivalry it, it, three shutouts in this series. It's the first time that's happened uh, UCLA over Arizona since 1990. And Azevedo's no-no, the first against Arizona for a UCLA pitcher since 1988. So that's the historic significance of this 3-0 sweep for UCLA as they get ready to head up to Washington. And we'll see if Washington can put a dent in that 18-game win streak. Well, as you know, we, we, like to, we like to be on the cutting edge here on the uh, Seven Innings podcast. That's why every once in a while we bring in a very special guest, super secret. You know her as KJ America, Karen Johns, who is our statistician extraordinaire behind the scenes. But she also happens to be a world-class catcher in her day. And she's going to share with us just how much of a pain in the ass Michelle Smith was to catch for over the years. Um, but this is a discussion again that Jen Schro started. Let's start out, guys, with some of the best batteries in the here and now, and then KJ will provide us with some historic perspective. She might ha even have a list of her top um, all-time from uh, days gone by. Schro? So this conversation actually stemmed from a tweet that I sent out a few weeks back, and we quickly learned that America was uneducated on what the term battery meant. We were getting given top hitters, top leadoff hitters. A battery is actually the pitcher and catcher, and it stems from them creating the energy that transfers throughout the entire team. In my opinion, the best batteries have a rhythm. They're connected. They ignite their entire defense. To me, the best batteries honestly aren't always the best statistics, but it's more something that can be felt. So there are three batteries I would love to talk about in current day. One, it's Georgina Corrick and Josie Foreman at USF. Georgina is only five Ks away from the all-time strikeout record at USF, and her catcher, Josie Foreman, calls every single pitch for her. Uh, they have this friendship that just can be felt from everyone on their team. On Twitter, they all just love each other so much, and they've got something special going on over there. The next one that I'd like to give a little nod to is Kinsey Hansen and Jordy Ball at Oklahoma. And to me, this battery is feisty. They both look like they would bite their right arm off to win a softball game. They are ferocious together. They have so much energy. And it's interesting, right? Because Jordy's a freshman and Kinsey is now a junior. And so it's actually the catcher that's kind of leading the pitcher. But looking at Jordy, I don't think any of us would think or characterize her as a typical freshman. 
And then the last one I want to talk about is Allie Shipman and Montana Fouts at Alabama. Allie is a transfer at Alabama. And when I was in Tuscaloosa, I remember sitting down with Montana. The first thing that she said to me was the very first bullpen that we threw, I felt like Allie had caught me my entire life. And I think that that summarizes what a battery should be. It just feels like you're in this rhythm together and you really don't even need to, to think about it because you're always in sync. You're always on the same page. And I think we're really seeing that uh, from that Alabama battery. Who wants to go next? Michelle. All right, I'm gonna jump in. At first, I thought you were gonna steal all of my thunder and that we had a connection as a battery. And I was like, there goes my head, she's blowing it. Um, all right, so the, the one battery that you didn't mention that, uh, that I think has an amazing connection is Keely Richard and Mackenzie Lauder for uh, Virginia Tech. Again, one of those batteries that call their own game. They're both uh, you know, 50 year seniors. They know the sport, they know each other. It's like they've got that uh, radio headset on and just the way that they can communicate. Get a little bit of information from the dugout, but it is all them. I love watching them. One of the best batteries uh, out there in, in the college game right now. Who's up next? Uh, I'll, I'll take a stab at a battery. I, I like Danielle Williams and Jordan Rudd from Northwestern. Both of those two are seniors, so they've been on this journey together for their entire careers, and I think that can be really special, too, when you have uh, the experience of coming in, being in the same class, and being in that battery together for so long. You just know each other so well. You develop that chemistry, that relationship, and Danielle Williams is crushing it right now. Northwestern has been on a tear. They're one of the teams to look out for. So if you like batteries, go check out the sweet lefty from Northwestern. I'll go. One thing I will say, I mean, it is kind of hard at times as pitchers when we want to talk about battery because we've been so used to back in the day, like calling our own games with that. And it has shifted. The game has changed so much, not in a bad way. I know there's a lot more pressure on these coaches and pitching coaches. So that's why they want to be the ones that are ultimately in control. But it's, it's hard for me to like, really think about batteries. Like I'm going to go with Florida state. Not only do they have the experience in the circle with what they did last year and Lonnie Alameda as their pitching coach. Um, but Michaela Edenfield, I think has been awesome behind the dish with both of those pitchers and their relationship. But yeah, we just don't get to see a ton of what it used to be where it was like that pitcher catcher duo where you knew they were fearless and they were calling their own game. And I almost hate that there's really only been two that have been named in Corrick and Keeley that call their own games. It's just I'm not into it. Hopefully we can get back to that one day. Uh, good stuff. Great, uh, great batteries. I think the front runner uh, right now for the, uh, the name of this uh, podcast would be bite my right arm off to win. Although let's hope Jordy Ball doesn't do that because then she couldn't pitch anymore. Uh, but let's bring in KJ, Karen Johns, one of the all-time great catchers who spent a lot of time behind the dish catching for Michelle Smith. Give us a few. Did Smitty have a pet peeve? Did, if she shook you off, did you guys have some good arguments over the years? How did that all work? And then we're going to get KJ's list of some of the all-time great batteries. Well, let's make it very clear. There was never arguments because it was due and you did and we did and we won a lot. So who's going to argue with that, right? There was definitely a no, no, do not talk to her during the game on the bench. Stay away from her. And one of my favorite moments with Michelle was at the Olympic festivals. That was our tryouts back then. And we had all these young players on our team. I don't know what happened, but the three of us, there was three of us older ones. I got put on this team with all rookies. And they kept going over trying to talk to her. Oh, it was one of the funniest moments of my life, just watching. And I was like, uh, get away. No talking to the pitcher during the game. New rules, right? So new rules. Anyway, new rules. We have I a love lot it. of memories, but that was one of my favorite ones. All right. Who's on your list and why? Oh, my. I, I'm with, uh, with Danielle as far as right now in the current game. Sandercock and Edenfield are my favorites right now. Um, and it's hard to say because they're all so good. Um, but I really enjoy watching the two of them work together. Um, but let's go back, right? I'm going to take you guys back because I am all about calling the game and all about the battery calling the game. And I'm going to throw a couple out here to you. And of course, I'm going to jump in that brewing bubble. I'm jumping in right now. I'm in there. And I had a combination with the brewing bubble where Debbie Doom and Janet Pinot, Pinot is a sophomore and a junior took them to the 84 and 85 titles. And Doomer also did it with Barb Booth as a sophomore. 
But Doom and Pinot in the championship game, not series back then, in the 22 innings, 11 hits, one run, one run, 25 Ks. So that was an amazing combination. That battery was so good. I'm going to jump out of the bubble real quick, and I'm going to go to Lori Stoll and Gabe McNutt at Texas A&M, 1983, lethal combination. But my all-time favorite, and it will always be, is Erica Zencina from UCLA. As a sophomore and a junior in college, she took two freshmen, Tiffany Boyd and Heather Compton, and they won the national title. 14 innings, four hits, zero runs. So Erica Zencina. One of my all-time favorite battery groups, and she had two pitchers to do it with. Nice. that And that for years, those were the only two freshmen that won the championship game. It took a while. Uh, so terrific leadership with those freshmen. That is a fabulous list of some of the best batteries hey, of all time. I haven't, I haven't gotten to go here, and I am a part of the battery here, being a pitcher in this, uh, in this group. And so I wanted to be able to give North Florida a shout-out, you guys. Like, they have the number three ERA in the nation. Paige Fent. I think that's how you say her last name. P F E N T. There's a Pflugerville around Austin that is spelled similarly. So Paige Fent with uh, a few of her pitchers who share starts with Morgan Clausen, who's a senior Holly Aaron's and also Aaron Kyle. They have a very veteran group. Um, the fact that Fent is a senior as well as her pitching staff are seniors. Um, and then also a shout out to Delaney Wiz as well for UCLA. I think that she deserves some credit with Alyssa Garcia going through some injuries and also just like working her way back behind the plate to have so many no hitters, so many perfect games. Jen, I know that you're big on the catcher and the, and the pitcher receiving credit both together, even though the pitcher usually receives the credit. Um, and then with that being said, Jen courted me to be on her team, even though she wasn't a catcher at the time, right, Jen, she still courted me as a pitcher to try to get to play on her team. So I feel like a catcher, like kind of like needs to be able to court a pitcher, take care of her, like learn her personality. So I'm just going to throw that out there to finish up the battery talk. You guys, this is a true story. Uh, Amanda was playing travel ball on a like a team, New Jersey. And I'm thinking, why is this Texas girl going East? Why doesn't she come to California? And so after the game, I went up to her to try and recruit her to come play for my firecracker team, because I didn't understand why a girl from Texas wouldn't want to come West and come play with the firecrackers. So I did court Amanda, didn't know her. That's how we became friends after a softball game. I said, Hey, come play in California. She didn't, by the way, I was turned down, but it's okay. Wait, can I give love to two more sets of pitchers and catchers? Well, I'm sorry. I just have so right, many quickly, I just need to get quickly. through my list. Hop like bunnies, quickly. Okay, Kelly I and Lisa Fernandez, yes. guys, together, two national championships. They they won in travel ball, and they're still coaching together. And then my last one, Texas, Kat Osterman, Megan Willis. I text Megan before this uh, this Zoom. And I said, did you call your own game? Because I wanted to know the story there. They actually, the middle of Megan's sophomore year, they went to Coach Clark and Coach Looper and asked. So at first, actually, Megan didn't call the game. They went and they petitioned. And she said, I guess we were pretty convincing because they let us. And so middle of Megan's sophomore year, throughout the rest of her career, she called her game. Nice, nice. I love it. I love it. I think, by the way, Scarborough went to play in New Jersey because that's where Michelle Smith is originally from and wanted to follow <laughs> In the wanted to get a feel, uh, you know, for the great state of uh, New Jersey, the Garden State, best tomatoes in the world. Um, and also a shout out to Scarborough, the North Florida Ospreys getting some love on the program today. North Florida Ospreys, everybody. Good stuff on the best batteries. Thanks so much. Special guest appearance, Karen Johns. A little historic perspective as well. And of course, bonus points for getting in a Debbie Doom reference. That happens every week on the podcast. At 7 Innings Podcast, if you want to follow along on your lineup card, BMO, Scarborough, Bro, Shro, Dilo with the Velo, Smitty, Vegas, Vicky, and a special guest appearance this week as well from Horo, who had a wonderful conversation with Texas infielder Janae Jefferson. Joining us today on the Seven Innings Podcast is just the super senior slugger, I'm calling you, uh, Janae Jefferson <laughs> from Texas Softball. And, you know, you just continue to compile huge numbers, but I want to take you back to this summer. You had to make the decision whether or not you would come back and play this season in your super senior year. What made you decide to come back? I think the biggest thing that made me decide to come back was 
just wanting to make it to the World Series. That was always in my bucket list as a little girl. And I just wanted to experience that for myself, for my team, just get get us there and just experience what that atmosphere is like. You talk about bucket list items. You had a pretty great bucket list item this summer when you made the U.S. national team. You'll be playing for the red, white, and blue this coming summer. What was that like to be one of the very few collegiate players to make that roster? Yeah, it was an, an extreme honor for me. I was It was a great opportunity to go out there and try out just to be surrounded by amazing players and athletes. And I don't know, it was just a dream come true, honestly. When I saw that email and my name was on that list, I was just extremely excited and I was just truly blessed for the opportunity to be a part of the team. You know, we've talked before and and we've talked about your Texas career before, but you just keep getting more and more accolades. Uh, (laughs) Become the hits leader there at Texas. I saw that the, uh, one of the players that you broke her record, she was tweeting at you, uh, watching (laughs) you looked up to Um, what does it mean to just keep setting these marks and these standards at Texas softball? I mean, it means the world. I feel like I'm doing this for the next generation, for them to be my records and things like that. And it's just a great opportunity. And I love representing the University of Texas and just setting these records not only mean a lot for me, but for my family as well. I'm not just playing for myself out there. It's playing for much more than just Janae. So it just means the world to me. Uh, we talk about your hitting, and I think one of the things that I'm most impressed with is your consistency in performance. You know, you're on pace to break the all-time uh, batting average there for a Longhorn in a career. Why do you think you're so consistent in your approach at the plate? I think my consistency just goes with the process I have between each game and between warm-ups even, just making sure that I have the same process going up to bat, and I try not to change anything, honestly. I feel like whatever's uh, not broke, why why not try to fix it? So, um, yeah, I just try to keep the same approach every time I go up to the plate. All right. If you're playing for the next generation, tell me something for these young kids out here, young people who might listen to this interview. Um, how What have you learned about the, being a consistent hitter? You said keep the approach the same, but give us some tips or tools. Yeah, I would just say whatever you've done the first at bat and it's been successful, do it again the second at bat and make sure that you keep it up, whether that's putting your foot down or your timing and uh, getting a good pitch to hit, things like that. So making sure that you're swinging at good pitches, whether you swung at that pitch in the previous at bat, do the same thing the next at bat and see what goes your way. Okay, before I let you go, I know you've got a game tonight. Tell me what's happening with Texas softball. Felt like you guys had some bumps early in the season, but what has started to come together at this point? I think definitely our team chemistry has gotten better. And we've definitely just said, like, after that uh, Clearwater tournament, really, that's where we kind of got in the rut. That's where we just all band together and said, hey, we can either make this a great season or have this one tournament end our season. And we decided, no, like, we're not going to give up. We're going to keep fighting and see what the rest of the season has to offer for us. Yeah, that's important because it felt like there was, uh, I, I don't know, chemistry was the right word for it, but like just not on the same page, right? Like mm. just some bumps there. So you guys feel like you've met and and are together moving forward. Yeah, for sure. And we definitely have new faces out there. I'm in a whole infield with uh, freshmen or underclassmen. So it's a lot of new faces and playing together. So I feel like once we got that in order, whether in practice or just hanging out outside of softball together, And getting that right, that's what made us stronger in the end. You talk about the new infield. Um, What are you learning as being patient and trying to help bring them along so it's people around you that you can trust in key moments? Yeah, for sure. Just like I said, um, just getting to know people better, whether that's outside of softball. And then, to just realizing that this is a fast game, especially when you get to the collegiate level, coming from travel ball. So I feel like with the freshmen, just letting them know that you're going to, you're going to have to come up to speed really quick, whether that's like looking for the second play and making double plays, things like that. And just knowing that the game won't wait, like everybody's fast, everybody's quick, everybody's good out here. So just knowing that you have to keep going and uh, come up to speed with the game. 
I love it. Well, continued success on your career. You have just been an absolute stalwart, consistent performer, superstar, and we love having you every time you you grace us with your interviews. So thank you and good luck the rest of the way. I hope that bucket list comes true for you, right? Yes, ma'am. Thank you. All right. Thank you. That's Janae Jefferson, Texas Longhorn softball and U.S. national team member. We'll be back right after this on 7 Innings Podcast. Always good to hear from Janae. She had a huge uh, week and what a bounce back as we move down to number four on our lineup uh, card, little horns holler. Uh, They made some noise with five straight wins over ULL and LSU. Jefferson, by the way, on the year now batting 361, she's scored 27 times and driven in 18 others. We talked about it on the program last week, Amanda, how huge this was for Texas and boy, did they come through big. Yeah, absolutely. And they really needed it too. And we can't quite figure out LSU who goes from beating Alabama twice to then getting swept by Texas. They got shut out twice and then lost a really big lead in game three. But um, I actually talked to Kat. So I guess we're all like just talking to a bunch of Longhorns here um, before the podcast. And she called the games against LSU. And so I wanted to know, you know, what were your takeaways from the weekend? And she said, I really feel like they're being led by Estelle Check, who's their transfer left-handed pitcher uh, from North Carolina. Carolina State. Her presence has made a huge difference for that team. And it's funny because I got to watch a few of the innings and watch Kat call those games. And hearing Kat talk about Estelle Check and what she throws and how she throws it is really cool. So being able to have that lefty connection with her, Kat said, it feels like my brain is like throwing with her. Like it's a lot of fun for her to call it. Uh, But also the fact to you guys that Alyssa Washington moved to shortstop for them. Defense has been a huge question mark for Texas. So Alyssa Washington seemed to settle down the defense to give them a a confidence to where they're not making quite as many errors. And then the last thing that I'm going to say is that they're in that what Kat told me is that they're not giving away as many at bats and they only are the first 15 innings. They didn't strike out at all against LSU. So being able to put the ball in play and fight within their at bats were a few of the things that that cat had said from the weekend. All right. We're number four on our lineup card. Who's next with uh, something about Texas or uh, other big upsets around the country. And also uh, Smitty, it's the start of uh, the big 10 regular season schedule as well. What you got? I just want to expand on Texas a little bit because this is a team that started in the top 10 preseason, right? Stubbed their toe, fell out of the polls. Now they're back in. But if you look at what they're doing right, this last weekend, they had four hitters hitting over 400, Courtney Day, Mackenzie Parker, Katie Simmons, and of course, Janae Jefferson, who is one of my favorite players ever. Um, You know, just such great leadership. But to your point as well with um, Estelle Check, great from the left side. Sophia Simpson, their freshman pitcher, has been outstanding this year as well. She has a great changeup. And I love the way that Coach White calls her game um, and uses that pitch effectively. So I think that this is a, a Texas team. When you look at who they're playing over the next two to three weeks, they have a chance to really do some damage. They have Lamar, Texas State. Then they have their Big 12 series with Kansas. They have a ULL game. Uh, then they go back into conference with Iowa State. UTA, and then of course they face Oklahoma at Texas. So this is interesting phase of the uh, schedule for Texas where they could really do some damage and pick up anywhere from, you know, 12 to 15 runs before uh, wins before they go into Oklahoma. What do you say, Danielle? Yeah, I just want to talk a little bit about them right out of the gate. I mean, I think Texas had this big bullseye of like what they were perceived to be. And I feel like with Mike white, when you tell them that they're going to be great, they're never great out of the gate. And for me, it's just been inconsistency in the circle, right? Like who's going to be that workhorse. that's going to take them. Was it Dulcini? Like all the eggs were in that, in that transfers basket. And then I think with Texas, they started to realize like, we got to figure it out like in the circle. And for them, that's kind of been the big thing. But I look at like Mia Scott as a freshman leading that team 390, 13 stolen bases. Like you're going to have to have some of those impact players step up. But I, I do like the fact that they have Mary Iacopo behind the dish. We could have said battery wise that she can hopefully instill a little bit of confidence in those pitchers, whoever that may be, because when you have five pitchers on a team, I feel like you need someone rock solid behind the plate that can kind of just keep the peace because everyone's fighting to just be that leader out there. So Texas, this could be, this could be the uphill battle that they've been wanting to climb and can set the tone. I think for the rest of the season, these last five games, ULL and then uh, LSU as well. Yeah. We had some fun upsets around the country, Boston college, a big win, a rarity to get one over Florida state. 
Uh, the Cal Bears excited about uh, their wins over Washington. And so uh, we're starting to see more and more parity in all kinds of different places. We're also excited to usher in the start of the Big Ten regular season. Michigan will open up against Nebraska. Uh, they are the Wolverines, one of the ranked teams this week. The other is Northwestern. We've touched a little bit upon them, but before they start their Big Ten schedule, they're already in first place in the Pac-12, everybody. How about the resume uh, for the Wildcats? Wins over UCLA, Oregon, Washington, and then this past week, Stanford. They also got a win over um, Missouri, so they are rolling. They will open against Michigan State, and then next week we'll have a big preview as it will be uh, Northwestern hosting Michigan. Anybody excited to see what's going to take place in the Big Ten as they get underway this weekend? Yeah, I, I really feel like Northwestern is the big story there. I, I feel like Michigan had all the attention coming into the season and they've had a few early season losses that have now kind of taken our attention away from Michigan and onto Northwestern, who just continues to step up against ranked teams. So um, I feel like the fact that Northwestern can rely on and go to Danielle Williams at any given time and a game is what really sets them apart and what sets her apart. She can start a game and go the distance. She can come in in the last inning and shut a team down for the save. So opponents are only hitting 140 off of her. She's truly proven to be one of the best pitchers in the country, not just even in the Big Ten, but in the best country in the entire country this season. You know, it's something that's so hard to put a stat on is culture of a team. We can all look and kind of think like, oh, they've kind of got it going on. And when I got to sit down with Jordan Rudd, I don't know if you guys know she's engaged. And she told me the story. And the one thing that stuck out to me was she was so excited that her entire team got to be there and how much that meant to her that her entire team was present. And I think that's something that Northwestern has is they have this rally type culture where they're all so tight as teammates. And I think that shows in their big wins. Like I, I reflect back to that UCLA win, it, you know, late in the game where Maeve hits that big home run. It, it just seems like Northwestern isn't just getting it done statistically, but they have the X factor in their culture right now. Something that was really cool. And Amanda, you were phenomenal in the game last night, but just watching like Auburn, like that was so fun. Like when you talk about culture, like just her second baseman and the swagger that she has and the excitement that they bring to the table. It's almost like we've missed that a little bit because it's, you don't want to be like too overconfident, but I think Auburn like truly thrived on that. And tonight was the, or last night was the perfect example where it's like, I'm watching it and getting goosebumps. And it's like, can we get that with all these teams? Can they go out and celebrate those home runs? And that second baseman set the tone for them all the way. And I mean, you hit the nail on the head, Manda. You made that comment about how like well-knit that team was. So they were a lot of fun as well. Uh, no, I love everything. I, I felt the same, Danielle. But Auburn team looked like a completely different team than they did last year. They were so, I mean, to be quite honest, they were just bad offensively last year. And now they have energy, they have confidence, and they're going to give some SEC teams a really hard time. I, I want to go back to the Big Ten really quick. Um, I'm a little nervous for Michigan. And I think that this could be Northwestern's conference title to lose this season. And a big factor, I think you have two of the players from Michigan that stand out to me as really impact players. Megan Bobian, not having her best season. She's got a 2.5 ERA, so she's got a, a little bit more more um, struggling in the circle this season. And then the other, the other player that I look at for Michigan is Lexi Blair, just underperforming from batting average to RBI production to run scored. So when you're two of your best players aren't playing as well as they need to be, I think uh, it makes me question, you know, the longevity of your team and how well you're going to do when you get into conference play. Yeah. And to your point real quick, Kayla, it's interesting when you look at the statistics in the big 10, the top five hitting teams are Nebraska, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, and Ohio State, all hitting over 300. If you look at where Northwestern, and they're 12th at 272, but you know what? They're getting it done. And it's just interesting how, you know, we talk about culture, teams that love to play together, all those little things that, you know, it, it's you can't really put a run up on the scoreboard for it, but it does make a, a difference. And so I think the Big Ten is going to be very interested. I interesting this year. I am worried a little bit about Michigan as well. I do think it's Northwestern's to take, but there's there's a slew of teams, though, in the conference this year that you cannot overlook. Good stuff there. We continue down our lineup card. We're going to uh, celebrate our Women's History Month again with a little Title IX talk from Tennessee head coach Karen Weekly, and then also a big series coming up this weekend. Tennessee will 
travel to Gainesville as we uh, hear from the longtime head coach of the Lady Vols. I was uh, eight years old when Title IX passed. And, um, you know, I, I benefited a lot from Title IX. Uh, I got a lot of opportunities um, to play sports in high school and, and all through school and, and improved youth organizations because of Title IX. And I think about all the people who came before me that didn't have those chances. Joan Cronin, the women's athletic director who hired us at Tennessee. The reason she got into women's athletics is because she wanted to play Little League Baseball at the age of 12. There was no girls softball and she was told, no, you can't play. And she said, I'm going to change that. I'm going to make it possible for girls to play anything they want anywhere. And, you know, I think I benefit from people like that. When I was a young coach, I was still practicing law, so I was very much kind of part-time in and out of it. But I remember going to my first few conventions and seeing people like Carol Hutchins and, and Rhonda Revell and just the people who were leading us as an organization. Uh, Carol Bruggeman, who's now our executive director, and um, Gail Blevins, and just watching how they carried themselves and, you know, the leadership roles they took in our sport and, and just, you know, really admiring that and thinking that, you know, that was something that I hope to do someday. Um, my parents just raised me to serve, um, whether it was in the church or in whatever organization you were part of, you know, don't just go take what you can get out of it, but be a part of serving it and be a part of um, helping to make positive change. I hope my legacy is um, that I just help develop strong, independent young women. And it's really important to me that they leave Tennessee with the degree they wanted, uh, not just a meaningless piece of paper. And I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that happens. I know how important it was for me when I was playing two sports in college um, to f fulfill my dream of being a lawyer. And I had coaches and professors who made that happen. And I think I can make that happen. And, and we've done that at the Division I level and still competed at a very high level. Um, I want to build champion people and you know you may or may not win a trophy but at the end of the day I want people who believe in themselves who can walk into any meeting any boardroom any situation and know that I belong here and my voice it, my voice matters. I love getting to sit down with coach Karen weekly. Every time that I spend time with her, I wish it were longer. And it's really interesting to hear her reflect back on the 50th anniversary of title nine, how that impacted not just her coaching career, because remember she was studying law when she first entered coaching, but just the different opportunities that Tennessee has been able to provide to women across the board and the chance that Tennessee's AD gave both her and Ralph long ago. It was just an inspiring conversation overall. It's just really cool to, to go back in time and listen to the history and growth of our sport. What are we thinking now as they get ready for a trip down to Florida led by Kiki Malloy? And that also kind of leads us into our impact transfers conversation. Aaron Edmondson has been terrific. For them, Skylar Wallace has been fabulous for Florida. We've already heard the names uh, Shipman and Estelle Check. Uh, so what do we think of Tennessee, Florida, Amanda? And, and then uh, uh, we'll go around the horn with some impact transfers. You know, I think that that will be a great series. I I, I just, as a fan of the sport and, and seeing the, the potential that Tennessee had coming into the season, I just wish that we were seeing her in the circle because I feel like with her, they're a top 10 team without her. They're a top top 20 team, I would say. Um, and I am paying attention to Florida, you guys in both series, Florida got shut out in game two and had big time strikeout numbers. Mackenzie Herzog struck them out 15 times on Saturday. So in both game twos of the first two series, they've struck out 24 times have have scored zero runs and Natalie Lugo. I mean, poor thing. I feel really bad for her. She's taken both the losses, but her team has had zero run support for her. So I know that oftentimes in a series in the sec, it's interesting, right? Because sometimes a team like AM or Mississippi state who Florida played first week and out will, will throw their ACE in game number two. And it's worked out for both uh, AM and Mississippi state. So I'm interested to see how it will play out with a missing Ashley Rogers maybe, and how Aaron Edmondson pitches against him. 
Yeah, we talk about transfers. Uh, you know, how important is it that Tennessee went and got Edmondson? Because can you imagine what they would look like if they didn't have her this season? I mean, they would be on the struggle bus. Uh, you know, some other transfers that I look at, specifically on Tennessee, I mean, Karen Weekly did a really good job of dipping into the transfer portal. Zeta Pooney provides a ton of pop, and she's a huge reason why they were able to get game three victory against Arkansas this past weekend. She hit a big time home run. Love her swing. It's freaking gorgeous. Um, some other people that stick out to me, if we're sticking around in the SEC, obviously Shipman from Alabama, but the other one is Ashley Prangy that plays third base. She's had some struggles this year, but I mean, again, Alabama was out of th out a third baseman. They needed somebody to step up and she was really, really good in their series all weekend long against Kentucky. Just someone in their lineup that's hitting in the two, three spot that again, uh, they needed her because, you know, Tao's not hitting as well. She usually hits this season for Alabama. So just people that step up, I think for me are just standing out in, in the transfer portal. Um, I mean, kind of an obvious for me, I'm going to go out of the sec. I feel like Elish now Elish is a work in progress because she did take last year off. But to me, she's someone that like every single opportunity for her is another opportunity for her to get better. And you know what you're going to get with Maxwell in the circle. So for me, like, yeah, she hasn't pitched to like her potential at this point, but from someone that went out of the game for a while and then went back to go pitch, like it took me months and reps outside of just your bullpens game reps to really start to feel where you're at so I think for her once you start to get to like mid-April May like Elish can be a big impact transfer for them and can help get them to OKC for sure and one thing I want to real quick head back toward the, the Tennessee Florida um, with with those two clubs it, it is interesting when you look at them Florida only has 21 home runs on the year this is a club we normally see more power out of but what's interesting is that Florida has 98 based on balls on the season to only 94 strikeouts. How about their stolen bases? 71 of 78. That is incredible. So Tim is morphing his team into what he needs in order to get what he wants back. So on Tennessee, on the flip side, they have 95 base on balls to 150 strikeouts to their offense. So completely lopsided on that. They also run well, though. They've got 45 stolen bases. Um, to the point about the transfers, though, I mean, Arkansas, you got to look at all the <laughs> all the that they've kind of roped in and that have come in with Callie Turner. KB Sides has been outstanding this year. Danielle Gibson. Uh, Taylor Ellsworth, and then um, also Audrey Lavalley, who came over from Oklahoma. So that, a lot of damage being done um, on the Arkansas side with the, with this, their transfers as well. What do you say, Bimo? Well, Smitty must have been looking ahead to number seven on our lineup card. That's a perfect little slide into Courtney Dyfo. Of course, they were the co-champs last year in the regular season in the SEC with those Florida Gators. They took two of three this past weekend off of Tennessee, got a big series as LSU comes to town this week. And of course, Courtney Dyfel, uh, uh telling Shro the significance of that SEC championship and the carryover into this year. Let's talk about LSU clinching the SEC championship at Tiger Park against them. Take us through the emotions of knowing it could be Arkansas's very first SEC championship knowing what it came down to, and then the moment of relief, the moment of excitement of actually doing it. Um, it's, it's tough to win on the road in general in the SEC. Um, and I think that's what made last year's group so special is we only ended up losing one game on the road. Um, but you're going into Tiger Park, and it is known to be a hard place to hit. Um, and that's obviously one of our big strengths. We hit the long ball. Um, we had an explosive offense. We obviously had great pitching, so we could counter that, but it's a really tough place to hit. And we're going into a weekend where there's a lot on the line. Um, it was incredibly humid, so the air's even thicker. We practice and we watch Florida at Missouri. And if Florida loses, we also clinch the share. And they got down to their last out, and Hannah Adams hits, a, I think, a three-run bomb to, or I don't know, a bomb. I don't know. She's one of the most, most clutch players in the country. And it comes down to Hannah Adams, and she gets the big hit. And we're like, all right, we're going to have to do it ourselves. Um, and quite honestly, we wouldn't have it any other way with this group. Um, and so we know what's at stake, and we go into that final day, and we have to, we're playing a doubleheader. And the first game, we end up losing, but we felt like we had a great game plan. Um, we felt like we executed our game plan. 
um, we just hit a few balls that got held up at the warning track that we literally feel like even on another day at LSU they go out and the game's different but they didn't go out that game and it's it's managing those emotions of we know what's at stake um, we just lost but it wasn't a bad game we felt like we were we were right there um, and you have to have that resilience and that quick turnaround to to get right back out there and, and go to battle again and um, I think we started Stormy, um, if I remember correctly. I think we started Stormy and she was hurt and we knew we were only gonna get a short run out of her. So we needed every pitch she could give us. And she went until she couldn't. They strung a couple hits. Um, and then we go to Mary and Mary threw a lot of pitches that inning. And they're such a great compliment to each other. But um, we were able to, to score some runs. Mary shut the door and it was one of the coolest moments um, in my just time in softball, not just in my coaching career. Um, because in that moment, they defied like everybody <laughs> telling them that they couldn't do it. You know, this was a group that came here to leave their mark. This is a group that came here to prove people wrong. Um, they came to make Arkansas just respected, and they did all that. Why is this team going to finish their year at OKC? This team wants it so bad. This team, that's why our super seniors came back. They feel like there's more out there. Um, and I, I, don't, I don't think that they're gonna let us not finish there. Um, I, I believe that, I have chills thinking about it. I believe that down to my, to my core, that's why they're here. Um, they've left a huge mark on this program and they feel like there's unfinished business. Courtney Dyfel said that she won the transfer portal lottery. She, I mean, guys, Gibson hitting 548, Ellsworth 421, KB sides 355. And when you think about postseason experience, Gibby and sides have been to the World Series. So that's immeasurable to that Arkansas team. And Michelle, you mentioned stolen bases. Arkansas had four last year, the entire year, four for six. KB Sides is 17 for 19 as an individual this year. That is a wild statistic. Uh, but you're right, Beth. Courtney reflected on the SEC championship beating LSU in Tiger Park. And that's a perfect foreshadow for the three-game series that's going to be on our network this weekend. Amanda, Michelle, I know you guys are going to Fayetteville to call that series, Arkansas against LSU. And it's the one that I'm most excited for this weekend. Yeah. And you've mentioned Danielle Gibson. And although she wasn't in the transfer portal like this summer, I mean, she was at one point and that was a big pickup for Arkansas. I remember she was a player that hit the home run cycle with a grand slam, three run home run, two run home run and solo shot. And the year that she's putting together, I feel like she's the left-handed Jocelyn Allo this year, hitting 548 with her batting average, 34 RBI, 11 home run. I mean, these are big time bombs that would go out of all like almost two fields there. Like she's just hitting monster home run still this season. So I'm excited to watch them play um, in person, Michelle. And I know that it's supposed to be a sellout crowds there. Arkansas can get some really good crowds. We'll be on ESPN. We'll get to finally be on ESPN and ESPN too. It's we're breaking loose here, Michelle, end of March, beginning of April. Here comes softball. Oh, it's going to be exciting. I, I can't wait to see the pitchers, Mary half, see what she does against LSU and, and which LSU team is going to show up. You know, they've looked brilliant in some series and then in others, they, they have just really struggled. Um, you know, this is a team, I think with LSU, sometimes they need a little motivation and maybe last week's sweep by Texas was the motivation that they're going to show up very hungry against Arkansas. Uh, you know, we, we saw them against Alabama a couple of times, um, Things that happen, it, it kind of motivated them. You know, the walk to Taylor Pleasance, and then um, Clark comes up and hits the hits the grand slam. So, is this is this going to be the motivation that series against Texas? You know, they've got a great coaching staff. Um, I'm interested to see how these these coaching staffs go against each other um, and the gamesmanship that's going to happen because these are two clubs that I think are very well matched on paper. All right, should be a good one. Thanks uh, to. Uh for uh, hearing from Courtney Dyfel on that and uh, some really big games coming up this weekend. Time now, number eight, as always on our lineup card, let's go shagging some stats. 
this week on Shaggin' Stats. I'll jump in and get us going uh, right away. My uh, Shaggin' Stats this week is 13,000. And a big shout out to uh, Sooner Nation. 13,000 people showed up over the weekend to see the Oklahoma Sooners. So that, that's my uh, Shaggin' Stats. We need to start building bigger stadiums, apparently. Oh, wait, they are going to do that at Oklahoma. So Love's Field is on the way. That's good news. Who's next on Shaggin' Stats? Shro, what you got? Uh, in the spirit of March Madness, I want to give a little love to St. Peter's softball team because they have 11 wins on the season. They are over 500. Their digital record book only goes back to 2012. And in 2014, they had nine wins. So they're killing any wins that they've had. I just want to give them a little love because obviously their basketball team is rolling right now. So shout out to St. Peter's softball team. Okay, so from St. Peter's to St. Thomas, another upset that happened this week was St. Thomas beat USF. They just went from Division Three and jumped all the way up to Division One. It was their fourth ever D1 win, and of course, their first against a ranked opponent. I'm going to go a little longer because I haven't been on here in a while. So we're just, we're going to make it a little bit bigger, but I'm going top 30 RPI, which I think is actually Really cool. So 11 teams from SEC, five ACC, five pack, four Big Ten, three Big 12, one AAC and UCF, and one Conference USA and Charlotte. And that to me just shows how impressive the parity is of all different conferences. But most important, we know the RPI is the number one thing that can really make a big push for you to go far in the postseason. So that was kind of cool to see. Uh, for my shock and sad, I'm going to I'm going to go Arkansas two weeks in a row. Um, I want to give a, a shout out to Hannah McEwen, who just this week set the all time hits record for career at Arkansas with 228. Uh, she did it on Monday night. But uh, the reason I specifically wanted to shout her out is we talk so much about Arkansas and the transfer portal. But Hannah McEwen was the first true Arkansas recruit hitter that changed their program. She came in and really set the tone as Courtney Diefel's true recruit. So credit to Hannah McEwen and congrats on setting that record at Arkansas. All right. I'm going to jump in with my shag and stat. Everybody's, you know, talking about Oklahoma and that they're nation leading 64 home runs, but I'm going to go a little flip side and talk a little bit about their battery. So, um, only four of their games have gone a full seven innings. All of the, the rest of their games, 21 of them have been run rules. So that's 138 innings that their pitching staff has had to throw. So that's 200, um, that's 414 outs. And they have combined as a staff, 226 strikeouts. So you're looking at 55% of the outs that Oklahoma records are via the strikeout. So as if their offense isn't good enough, their pitchers, well, they're pretty darn hot too. That was Shaggin' Stats. I love it, Smitty. Way to sneak some math in there at the end. Beautiful, beautiful. Speaking of those Oklahoma Sooners, they, they of course, had a big game this week at Kentucky. Sold out John Crop Stadium. And, uh, of course, we were there for the coverage, as we will be all the way on the road to the Women's College World Series. Here is our recap with Shro and Scarborough. They're going to let us know. Number nine. On our lineup card, will it be sooner or later that Oklahoma suffers a loss? 25-0 and 0, heading to Lexington, and here's how it all went down or, or up. Well, how about Oklahoma last night uh, coming out and having an incredible win over Kentucky? Um, the long ball ladies uh, was a was the um, the play of the night. And, and I guess you could say Jordy Ball as well. I mean, she was outstanding in the circle. Um, obviously, I called the game um, and uh, have some some thoughts. Uh, uh, what did what did you what did you think, Jen? I mean, obviously, the power for Oklahoma is legit. You know, to me, I truly don't know when Oklahoma is going to lose. And I've never said that about a team. I've always taken the approach that every team's going to lose. You need to lose. Adversity is good. This team is firing on all cylinders right now. It doesn't matter if you're in the starting nine. It doesn't matter if you come off the bench like Lindsey Elam and hit five home runs in a row. Or if you're Alyssa Brito and you transfer and you're just scratching, you know, scratching for opportunities. And then all of a sudden now you're in the starting lineup. It truly doesn't matter where you stand in this lineup. They're figuring out how to get it done. Taylor Snow from the leadoff spot goes over and your team still scores nine runs. Like that's wild to me. Amanda, what did you think? 
Yeah. I mean, the fact that they hit six home runs, right. They had three players hit multiple home runs and Alyssa Brito, as you mentioned, I mean, she hit two out of the nine spot is just really something special, but like, they just don't miss on their swings. Like I feel like their vision and plate discipline and just the way that they see the ball is next level in terms of offense. And then of course, yes, they have the power, but they're swinging at strikes. I feel like their barrel stays on plane for a really long time, giving them so many different chances to connect with different speeds and different locations. So that's what stands out to me. And I mean, Jordy ball is just such a competitor, Michelle, like the way that she's able to throw her rise ball through the zone and expand it, the way she's able to go down the zone with her drop ball and change speeds with her off speed drop really stuck out to me. Yeah. yeah. Impressive uh, in the circle. Um, I thought what was impressive is her demeanor. She got herself in trouble in that first inning. She committed two errors, um, but it didn't phase her. I mean, a lot of freshmen would be all of a sudden shaken in their boots with the bases loaded and no outs, right? She gets a, a hard ground ball hit to Grace Lyons. They get the force out at home and then she, she gets two big strikeouts um, on a changeup and a drop ball. Which, you know, if you think about in that situation with the bases loaded, that's what you want to be throwing something low in case it does get hit. You don't want to you know, worry about the, the long fly balls um, with the rise ball. So she goes away from that. She uses her maybe secondary and tertiary pitches and she still records the, uh, the, the strikeouts, which is incredible. Her rise ball is also next level when she uh, throws it over the white part of the plate. And, you know, that's when you're you're confident with it because you, you know that you will put it over the white, you'll trust your movement. However, uh, Renee Abernathy did end up uh, connecting with one and, and hit a solo home run off of her. I thought late in the game, she maybe got a little tired if her controller mechanics were off a little bit, but an impressive outing for, for ball all the way around. And to back up your point, Amanda, I really felt like um, Oklahoma's offense that they are just on point they see the ball so well they are so disciplined and they're hard to pitch to because they're off the plate and you try to challenge them under the inside under their hands you have to move your plate you cannot throw the ball on the plate on on the edges and expect it to not get hit because it will because of the way they stand in the box so I thought that their approach and the way that they were um, attacking pitches was outstanding um, and, and one last thought real quick for Kentucky. How about the atmosphere, right? A Tuesday night, a sellout crowd. Um, I, I love where our sport is right now. Coach Lawson was, you know, you know she talked about the 50 years of Title IX and how far our, our sport has come. It, it was a great display of uh, fast pitch softball with a, with a sellout crowd for Kentucky. Yeah, Rachel Lawson's in-game interview was so good about the growth of the game. Amanda, I know you brought this up on on something that we did yesterday, but Oklahoma chartered in just for that midweek game. So you have administrations spending a lot of money to give girls the opportunity to play on a weeknight on the SEC network and tip your cap to Kentucky because they did such a great job preparing for that atmosphere. And I also want to give them a little credit because Michelle, you said that maybe Jordy ball got a little tired at the end of the game. I actually thought Kentucky made really good adjustments against her. And I'll think that schools will maybe use some of that footage from later in the game against Jordy ball to kind of create a game plan for inning one as the season moves on. Cause I really thought Kentucky made some good adjustments. And then I want to touch on Jordy Ball's mentality. Like you mentioned, she credits a lot of that to her dad. They have a special relationship and she's wearing 98 at Oklahoma because of him. She actually had it tattooed on her arm. So if you guys see that tattoo on her forearm, it's for him. And she credits that mentality to her dad. So I don't know, as a daddy's girl, I just think that's kind of cool, Amanda. Yeah, you mentioned um, their their offensive adjustments against her. I thought that they made a pitching change with the pitcher later in the game, too, to be more up in the zone. And I think that beyond today's game, I think that, that the teams will see how, I think it was Harrison was her last name, um, the pitcher for Kentucky approached them, got some swings and misses up in the zone. Maybe they're vulnerable more up in the zone, but it's, it's yet to be seen. And you guys, they have, um, here's what they have coming up. They play Baylor in Norman, then Wichita State, then UAB a couple of times, Tulsa, Texas Tech, and don't play Texas until April 14th. So that will be the next ranked opponent they play. And I know Wichita State can be in and out of the rankings depending on the on the week. So um, Michelle, I don't, I, don't, I don't know when this team loses, but that's their schedule upcoming. 
I, you know what? I don't think this team loses if they continue to even play average in the circle and with their bats. And we know that there's nothing average about their, uh, their bats. <laughs> so, uh, and they, they hit in, in clumps and clusters and, you know, they, they had three athletes with two home runs last night, each for six home runs. They had Jennings who had two base hits. They had Coleman who had three singles, you know, three base hits. So it's, you know, they're, they're, they're just so well balanced. So even if that, that outstanding lineup even just becomes average, I, I still don't think they lose. I, I think there's a legitimate sh- chance that they could go into regionals um, undefeated, which is remarkable. I don't know that I've ever said that before. Uh, could it happen? What's up, Jen? Oh, Michelle, I was just going to say ditto. I don't think I've ever said it. And I feel the same way. And I almost feel weird feeling that way. Like, I feel like I'm saying something wrong, but it's what I really believe. Well, we know that they looked unstoppable um, last night against Kentucky. Greg Sankey even tweeted the SEC commissioner, which is cool. He was watching the game. Uh, 2,000 people were there. Just a great night in college softball. And we have a great weekend coming up of tons of games. So we hope that you'll tune in to the ESPN networks. Thanks for listening to the seven innings podcast. I am Scarborough. I think that's how Beth says it. She says it just so Beth wise, but we had Smitty, Shro, Bro, and Bimo. Her name's not Beth. It's Bimo and Dilo with the Velo. Thanks for tuning in and be sure to follow us on social media at seven innings podcast on Twitter and also on Instagram. We'll see you on the road to the women's college world series. 